some of that, you see echoes of that in the Sufi tradition where it's an ecstatic like love and right. it's not it's not just like an agape kind of love it's 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 eros it's romantic love it's the kind that like sweeps you up and makes you an insane person like it's yeah. it's that that level of just like and and it cre- so i've had few moments of this <laughs> Yeah. Very few. And they happen at these weird times that seem so incongruous and strange. Um, but they, but it's a, it's a place of, you don't know why. You don't know what, like, it, I would say that it's like loving your child, but it's like more than that. It's like a, like mm-hmm. a, just a barrierlessness. Um, and that, that resonated with stuff from Buddhism in that kind of mystical way. It resonates with a whole bunch of like Sufism and with a lot of the contemplative people. Um, and it's that place of there no barrier, no, like no place where things right. are different. And I think to be in that place and then act would be the kenosis, but right. to, to act from a material place is still, it's like it's doing kenosis in the land of the demiurge, basically giving stuff to the demiurge. Can you still get there from that land? I mean, let's say... Uh, well, it's the only land. Like, that's where we are. Yeah. So, so you have to... I mean, is there a fake it till you make it sort of thing? I, it's funny because I use that phrase and I often hear people, um, like, complain about that phrase, but I actually really like it in some situations and not in others. But the one the one where, you're, where you don't really... You're supposed to be giving stuff up. I don't know why. You don't really understand it, and maybe you're supposed to let God do that. And then theologically, I can kind of, I can kind of get that. Like that kind of makes sense to me. But it also makes sense that that would happen for one person and not seventy-two others, mm-hmm. and that seventy-two others might just have a crappy experience. I don't know, but um, because one person was ready, that part about being ready, which is another elite, we'll get into elitism maybe. But but that part about you're you're spiritually ready for that to that event to happen. Um, and then if you're not, are you working on becoming ready for that? You know, that, that's a, yeah. So it sounds very, in some ways, very self-aware, like you're encouraging people to be self-aware for sure, to pay attention to what's going on, pay attention to your heart and to your relationships and the things around you. Critically. And include those in your journey, not try to escape them or bypass them in your journey. Um, there's something life-giving there, it sounds like to me. I, I think so. The question I often get from people who are new to Gnosticism is like, I don't make good decisions. <laughs> I don't, I'm, I'm terrible at this. My ego tells me to do the dumbest stuff. Um, and it's like, well, yeah, like, I, I don't know, like that, that part about discernment, is this the right thing or the wrong thing is like another skill that you have to develop over time and with practice. I feel like the idea of practice in Gnosticism is critically important. Like you just have to be doing, you have to be, you have to be doing things not to make yourself worthy, but to move yourself along this trajectory. How much would you say that has to do with uh, the idea of renunciation? I mean, if you're trying to do something, it, it just seems to me you're not going to get it. You're not going to get it done. And you're trying to allow, allow it to happen. Yeah. Experience you t- I, I, I think I've, I've had that kind of experience you're talking about like twice in my life. 
Yeah. And I don't know how the hell I did it. <laughs> I Whoa, don't know what right. I what I did. And but s- somehow, if you create the conditions that are more likely to allow that to happen, is that what you're trying? Yeah. To do? Right. Right. So it wouldn't be an event that allowed that to happen, but it would be that the conditions of your life did that. But where where is there the pothole of legalism that shows up here? Of if I follow these rules or right. treat it like an equation yeah. or do these right yeah. things, then I can make this happen. Is that something that shows up in Gnosticism? It, I mean, yes, as a pitfall, right? I mean, that's a that's a problem that yeah. um, because then you get into like you know you press this lever, yep, and this will happen, and that's just not the way that goes. And and I and that's just experiential and also that's a like a way to really mess with people right like right. like to say you didn't pray hard enough um well right so i guess my deeper question yeah. is are there are there branches in your tradition that lean more that way or is it generally like no that's not how we do this yeah that not that that way do all kinds of other weird pitfalls but not that one and part of okay. that is because it a lot of times people who choose to be gnostics are people who identify as kind of weirdos Right. They're like they're not they're not people who they're people who got interested in Gnosticism because they really were into the secret knowledge and they want to know the secret knowledge. Like a whole bunch of Gnostics get interested in it for that reason, or because they're um, you know, heavily involved with some occult kind of organization and they hear the word Gnosticism and they're like, Okay, that's my entry. Um I think, you know, it's been fifty years or so since the Gnostic texts were sort of translated and there have been some churches in the United States at least that have been had a long enough life that I think we're getting out of that. So we might get people who who are who come from a Protestant well I'm Catholic too I guess but but Protestant is mostly what I think of background who come to it with that that possibility um but but that one is not not common to us. Yeah. Self will that would get in the way. Well, it depends on how, how you're, when you're, ex, when, you're ex, <laughs> yeah. when you're exercising your will. Like like you say, when you're trying to delve into secret knowledge. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, not I'm not gnostic, but it doesn't sound like that's the way to go. To I think that too, and um, so I get in arguments with people who are really interested in the occult side of this stuff. Um, members of which are in my church, like it's like regular thing. It's not unusual. Um, and will is a big deal to those guys, right? The will to to do whatever kind of magical stuff you're doing. But I feel like will is not the issue. Like, that's not the thing. The thing is surrender. And, um, you know, the in The Matrix, I'll go back to the movie. The Matrix, there's, you can become this kung fu master by using the tools of the demiurge. They put it in and it goes into your brain and suddenly you can do this thing and you've mastered this thing in The Matrix, but you're still in the matrix. You can figure out as many different workarounds and magical things as you want in the matrix, and mm-hmm. you're stuck in the matrix. It doesn't matter. And so at some point, that the goal becomes get out instead of, well, it's, you know, back to Hinduism, it's the, the cycle, right. death and rebirth in right. the same world. So do, do you, do we get out? Is there, is there an escape plan? So that's a trick, right? Because like, I think in Gnosticism, there's usually universal salvation. Like you're, you're all going to get out. Um, what does getting out look like? Like 
like in a metaphysical, like cosmological way, no clue. I don't know. I mean, that, that idea that I pull more from Buddhism than I do from Gnosticism with that one, because Gnosticism doesn't really get into that very much. Um, so, you know, a universal salvation would be everybody is free at the end. So death is freedom. No, death is not free. Okay. <laughs> death, death is just a door. a door. And it could be a door back, and it's probably a door back into the Demiurge world. Like, it's probably just whatever the next thing is, so then, it's probably back. I mean, there. I know you, you, you'd yeah. even said this, you just said this. There's not a big heavy talk about the afterlife. Is there any kind of reincarnation? Lots of Gnostics yeah. believe in reincarnation. Some don't. Um, I don't know what you do with that if you don't. Because it, I mean, I, I don't know. And, and it could be that it could be reincarnation into a different place, sort of like the Baha'i we're talking about, these different realms that you then like, maybe they're progressive and they're not, you know, cyclical. And you go to the next one and you might have a crappy time there too. And you go to the next one and maybe it's a little better and then you, back and forth, who knows? I have no idea. But, but we do leave, regardless of what people believe about the afterlife, we, we do we leave this energy behind, this legacy and how important is that in Gnostic tradition? What, which legacy? What uh, legacy I mean, of? That, whether, whether it's your own children or it's your friends. Oh, or your, yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the person that you were, you spent time with people, the, the hands that you've touched, the people that you've loved, the, the justice that you've yeah. done on earth. Oh, you know, does that make sense? I mean, it does. I would yeah, assume that's that there, a tough there are these one, right? Because, practices that, yeah. that do good in the world. Is that, yeah. Does that carry on? And that, that part is a, like, that's where the emptying gets, has a weird place because I, I think emptying makes you more available for those kind of loving relationships and those kind mm. of deep connections to people and um, canonic acts of doing things in the world. But I think the other part of that is like, it doesn't really matter if that gets left behind because you're not attached to those. They just, they were events that occurred and then passed away and they're going to be some more. Um, so that, oh, that's a... So it almost seems like a sacrilegious idea, but the good we do in the world is still reinforcing the illusion of the world we live in. It depends on what the good is, right? I mean, the, there's, the, there's the sort of the argument that if you're really you create a lot of jobs by doing your piratical capitalist thing, whatever that is. Um, that's your legacy. You've created all these jobs for people. And it's like, did, is that all bad? No, it's like, obviously good. Lots of people had jobs. Kids got to go to college. Emphatically good. All participating in the world of the Demiurge. But it can hold you personally back when it comes to knowing the reality. Depends how attached you are to that. I mean, that, that goes back to the part about knowing yourself and discernment. Like, who are you? Like, are you the person who can't let go of that idea? Then you're stuck. I realize that we are speaking in Demir's language. Those that are listening are also stuck in that world. <laughs> so if, if we can uh, somehow... I'm such a Western. I want to separate that for a second in, our, in my mind. You admit, But you had mentioned moments where you've had... Um, uh, a session, an experience of this gnosis. Um, how? What are the practices that get that have gotten you there? And, and I know there's not like a mechanical formula. I don't want yeah. us to say, "Well, if I do this and I go home and I read this book and I say this prayer and yada yada." But can you just explain for those who are like, "I have no idea." I've, I I guess I prayed once and I did some hail marys and I did the Lord's prayer. But 
you know, there's there's the the old tradition that people have grown up with. What is what is this tradition that somehow over time the knowledge becomes gnosis and then you have those awakenings and you're like you almost feel like you're outside of this realm and you've escaped the realm of the demiurge for a, a split second. Yeah. And how how long has it lasted? I'm really curious. Like, is it, I mean, is it like LSD? Are we talking, you know, shrooms? What what are we talking not, here? Is it not like that long. Not speaking in tongues, not, and it nope, happens. Not, not speaking in tongues, and not very long. Um, but I, but and the, so I should start by saying that this really grace is what we're talking about. And so you're not you grace. Can, you can put in all these inputs. You can put in all the inputs you want. And grace is a definite factor in the whole equation. So the grace of Sophia reaching down to pull you up. So there's election here. Election in terms of so grace no, from no, because he said everyone gets out at the end. Yeah. Oh, there's not. It's no Calvin. I'm not talking. About, I'm not talking about the end. Yeah. I'm, I'm talking about election in the sense of of grace. Sophia reaching down that you, that you can do all the works, but it's not about your works. It's about something else outside of you that is lifting you up. That's why that's why I, I brought up election. I would say it's both. Okay. I would say that it's both because I I think the reason I emphasize grace is that there's it doesn't it it diffuses, it doesn't take away that automaticity of put in these inputs and get this thing. But it also is um if you do put in the inputs and get the thing, that's still grace. So um and the grace is well, back to Richard Rohr talking about grace. Um the fact that you decided to do the practice at all is grace. Like that's that you're already there. So that's a, that's a piece of that. And then just believing that that will lead you where you're going. Um, but I don't know if that, but it's really, it's not in your control at the end of the day. It's, it's no, it's not. Any, well, I mean, that's a, that's a toughie because for sure, if you don't do any of the stuff, it's going to be much harder you're just for you. You're an Epicurean and you right. just you're do just whatever like, you want. Yeah, I mean, it, and it doesn't mean that that won't happen for you because people have these experience. Paul, boom, zap. There he is, having this experience of gnosis. Um, what did he do to get there? I don't know. Like, It's also like um, uh, uh, um, Buddhism in that you do what you got to do but you try not to own the result. You don't, um, you don't, you know, you don't take hold of the result. You let that go. That's where grace may catch you. Does that make sense? Yeah, I guess so. Um, but then the, you know, this stuff is so individual. Like that's part of this whole problem of talking about this stuff is because when you talk about it, it becomes this thing that applies all over the place and it really is individual. Um, so practices in Gnosticism are like one of the number one ones is reading. Honestly, like scholarship is a big one that almost all Gnostics do. I don't think it's going to get you that far. Like it'll get you somewhere. It'll get you some, like you'll know a lot of stuff. Um, I don't know if you'll know a lot of stuff. It, uh, <laughs> uh, it's not the same thing. But But then the other part is like, Discernment and looking in and reflection and that stuff is, I think, one of the number one Gnostic practices. Like, what do you, what, what is your experience like? What is it like today? What am I like? What was I like yesterday? What will I be like tomorrow? What how, if I tried this thing? Did it work? Did it not work? What did I want to do? Out of like, what was my intention? All blah 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 blah. It goes on forever. 
Um, then there's also liturgy. Liturgy is a big part of uh, Gnostic practice. So the you know communion, the Eucharist, doing that service, baptism, confirmation, marriage, if all of the usual sacraments are there. Um, and the thing that I don't think it's different about Gnosticism, because I think all kind of sacramental Christians do this, where you really pay attention to what's happening. And you really are there, present for the thing. Like, you you know that at this part of the ceremony, this is what's happening, and you're available for it, and boom. There it is. Yeah. Not to say that, I mean, sometimes you go through the motions. You're sick or whatever, and you do it, and that's fine too. But but the ones that, but that, bat, it's like making a decision about, like, it should always be this way or else it won't work doesn't really, mm -hmm. that's not really a thing. So... Could you share with us one of your special experiences or a story that's in Gnosticism that shares like someone having one of those experiences? Just as an example. Well, I'll share two. And one, um, so there, I mean, these experiences are not unique in Gnosticism. People have them all over in all kinds of religions. But so I had a really intense experience in uh, my uh, Lectio Divina, which is sacred mm -hmm. reading practice of um, in the end part of that, the contemplatio part, the, um, you just sit with what's happening. And the, the experience I had was of Sophia holding on to me, wings, she has wings, behind her, um, moving in, in time with my heart. And that stayed for like five minutes and it was, it was like, felt like the real thing. Yeah. And if I said, you know, you get into that thing, that, that like rationalist thing, like, was Sophia really, do you really believe that that was, you know, and it's like, you know. I don't know. It was a real experience. I experienced it. I experienced it. Yep. Um, so that was one that was like a really, uh, like had a story and had a picture mm -hmm. and had all of that imaginal stuff. The, the 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 ones that I've had several times, and I think I kind of attribute this to some some of the meditation stuff, honestly, which is um, just driving down the street and looking out the window and seeing a person, random person, and having this just huge outpouring of like love for that person um, for no reason, like no, I mean no 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 usually discernible reason. At the yeah. time, it was like, this person has this life, and I, they have, you know, that sort of feeling of um, when people talk about unconditional love from God to you, that. Um, and that was, that was amazing. And that's, that's happened a few times, and I, that's, yeah. that's great. <laughs> that's what I'm looking for. Yeah. To encounter the world and be able to to be in that space with it. Yeah. yeah. Or, or let that I'm not sure how functional I would be, but come through the veil and yeah. in, I don't know, enlighten it, whatever. Yeah. I, I think that's beautiful. And I think there are many traditions that could probably speak to their own experiences where it's few and far between. And as you said earlier, it is, it is grace, but yet had you have not have been disciplined in a certain way, that probably wouldn't have happened. Yeah, my brain, wouldn't, my mind, yeah. my whatever structures would not have been ready. So I, I have a question about the gnosis part and even the knowledge part. What about for those who can't read or for those who can't think in the ways in which other people can think? They, you know, they don't have a high school degree. They can't right. 
where does that fit in here? I don't know. Somebody asked me that the other night, and I, um, all the Gnostics I know are wicked smart. I mean, and so they're really, and they've been through a whole bunch of other religious stuff before they got there, and they can compare and all of that stuff. Um, and the other part is that it's really sacramental, like it's really liturgy based and ritual and mythology and all of that stuff. So some people, who might be perfectly delighted with the Gnostic ideas, that's going to not ever work for them. That's just not going to, that's not how they roll. And so I don't know what to do with that. I was, I, ever since we talked, I've been thinking about that because I don't think that these ideas are, they have to be for people who are doing this weird liturgy stuff. I don't think they have to be for people who have, you know, big background knowledge or I just, I feel like, but the 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 idiom that this is expressing itself in right now tends to that, and so I think a new idiom would have to be made up. Does uh, do Gnostics believe then that they are in any way an exclusive? It's an exclusive route. I mean, because you know, other there are other traditions in which there are alternatives for people of all di- yeah. uh, alternative you know mindsets or you know, abilities, whatever. Well, um, yes and no. It depends on which Gnostics you talk to. There's some Gnostics who really like that's part of, and part of that is because a lot of Gnostics come to Gnosticism after they've been either rejected by or hurt by some other religion, or they've looked into lots and rejected them. And so they come into the new religion, whether, and that happens, I mean, I saw this in Buddhism a lot, where it'd be a bunch of white people who came to Buddhism because like, those people were stupid. And, and that's not really, so then you get a sort of an elitist feeling. But I don't know, I think as this religion or this, this expression of this religion keeps going, I think it will find some different ways to express itself that are more um, available to people. But I would also say that like all of this, all this information is completely available at any time. Um, the obstacles to it are mostly the story of Gnostics. And I heard that from people uh, like the, the boogeyman of religion is Gnosticism. So that's boogeyman of Christianity anyway. I think um, Christians are more likely to really hate Gnosticism than they are Buddhism in a whole bunch of ways. <laughs> I had asked you this the other night, and it's a tough question. We kind of talked around it a bit regarding the Torah have this Demiurge God yeah. looking figure uh, to Gnostics. And then you have uh, the Jewish God, which is the, traditionally the Judeo Christian God moving into that tradition. Does it seem to others, and maybe even to yourself from the outside, a little anti Semitic? Definitely. Yeah. And it, and it definitely can be that. I think the thing that that doesn't take into account is that Judaism has had, you know, all these thousands of years to grow and to be experienced by people. And like, I'm sure I'm positive there are Jewish Gnostics, not Gnostic Christians, but who are looking for Gnosis in Judaism. I have no, there's no question in my mind. But that story, those stories are what the Gnostics were uh, rebelling against. So it's it's a really important distinction to make to say that what those sort of like when you read the Gospel of John. And the Gospel is John has all kinds of things to say about the Jews, the Jews, the Jews are bad, and this, that, and the other way. Yeah, yeah. 
And then, then you look at what the context of that thing was, then you get a different picture, but that has been used to be holy mackerel, the stuff that's been done because of the Gospel of John. Like it's so, so I think is the potential there? Absolutely. And especially as people are sort of rediscovering and reinventing it, especially when people are, you know, people who are attracted to Gnosticism tend to be people who are a little conspiracy theory, honestly, to like this is all a big, it was a big cover up. God did this thing. Um, and so like people who are in that track, I can see that, that happening. So I think in Gnosticism, that's a thing to be really careful with. Um, people who study Gnosticism very seriously also usually study Kabbalah pretty seriously. And so you get, you get some mitigation of that to some degree. And also a lot of the really Semitic ideas of Judaism are are in Gnosticism too, but you get that part where you're just putting a label on a thing and saying the Jews did this, then you got a problem. Also, I mean, I, I, I kind of repeat myself, but psychology is an overlay of all religion and, and different people in any different religion, you know, they're going to go at it their own way. Sometimes it's more prevalent certain religion than another, but I think it comes down more to psychology than perhaps the content of the religion itself. I don't know. Tell me if you think that's wrong, because I don't know. Certain instances, maybe not, but... Uh, I think that's right, and sort of developmental psychology <laughs> applied on a macro level um, in terms of like how cultures start out as so tribal, and that tribalism sometimes just stays, and so... You, Moving out of that is the next logical step, but lots of people don't do it. Do you have a favorite um, book, passage, verse of something I, that's special to you? Right now, it's the sure. it's the uh, Thunder Perfect Mind, which is um, I'm the first and the last. I'm the the loved and the scorned one. It has a whole bunch of, it's a basically a series of I'm this thing and I'm the opposite of that thing. I'm this mm -hmm. thing and the opposite of that thing. Um, and the other message of that is don't forget me. And the, the, the person who's supposed to be telling this, this book is Sophia. Oh, and so it's the, the feminine in saying like, do not forget me. And that part has been really striking me lately because, of course, Christianity completely forgot. <laughs> like, yeah. um, so that's really striking to well, me. That's a great lead-in because maybe you covered this while I stepped out, but the, fe the gender neutrality and the role of male and female, can you just articulate that a little more? Because you went through that on Thursday of how important it is that everyone's welcome to the table. In yeah. your tradition. Well, I mean, there's, it's really important that everyone's welcome to the table and every, every single everybody, all of them, because they all are an emanation of the divine. So you can't make a distinction about masculine. I mean, they're all, and they, and they all have the overlay of the demiurge on them. So you can make a distinction about them as much as you want. But the, the sacred flame, that's what the Joanites talk about, um, is in everybody. So you can't, you can't exclude anyone. But in the cosmology of um, of Gnosticism, the feminine is extremely important. And so you have Sophia, and sometimes Sophia is uh, conflated with the Holy Spirit. 
that maybe the Holy Spirit was who was Sophia. Um, not all groups think that's true. Um, and then the other part is then, like the Logos, Logos and Sophia are this this binary, and then the Logos incarnates as Jesus, and Sophia incarnates as Mary Magdalene. Okay. And so those that pair then is the the sort of salvific historical pair. But all of us have those parts in us. Um, that's a thing too. Uh, we get pushback from people who are LGBT and um, transgender because they're, the idea of making masculine masculine and feminine feminine is problematic because yeah. then, you're, you're, you, then you can start to define what's one and what's another. And it becomes important to make a distinction instead of to say what's important is the, to, is the, the single one. The two become a single one, it says in the Gospel of Thomas. And that's what it means yeah. is that, the, that, that part. One of the sacraments that's sort of lost in um, Gnosticism is the bridal chamber. We don't really know what the bridal chamber was. We sort of think that might have been an end-of-life thing, um, like the consolamentum of the Cathars, where you, at the end of your life, do a total renunciation of everything completely, and you're just going for the annihilation, essentially. Okay. But I don't know. We don't know for sure. Yeah. Any introductory books that people could read <laughs> if they're first-time listeners and have never heard about Gnosticism? I would read um, the Gnostic Bible is a group of texts. It's not there's not actually a Gnostic Bible. Um, there's the Bible and there's the whole Nagamati Library and there's some other things, but that that one is a group of texts that have been sort of pre-sorted for applicability. The Nagamati Library is sort of a monstrous read. It's huge, and some of the stuff is not really applicable um, or is so arcane it's hard to understand. Um, if you were looking, if you're not a reader, I'd go for the uh, Gnosis Archive uh, online at gnosis.org. That's from Ecclesia Gnostica, which is a, one of the oldest, most established Gnostic churches in the U.S. Um, and they have put every Gnostic scripture online. It's all there. Oh, wow. Ready to roll. And different versions and, um, you know, commentaries. It's, it's amazing what they've done. Um, the church I belong to is Apostolic Joanite Church, so you can look at joanite.org, and they have a thing that's called the Lectern, which is uh, basically lectures from their annual conclave that they put online, and then um, a thing called Joanite School, which is a series of like small classes if you wanted to learn about that stuff, about the basic theology of that. Um, there's another book that is not, it's not specifically about Gnosticism, but I think gives you a a sense of what Gnostics do um, called Inner Christianity by Richard Smoley. Okay. Um, that's great. And because I'm me, I would recommend uh, Cynthia Bourgeau's book about Mary Magdalene as a guide for Mary Magdalene. Um, and really any of the contemporary contemplative people, they fairly overtly say that they're not Gnostic. Um, but they are. And well, and, and I would say that if you look at Gnosticism as this nihilistic thing that's dualist and blah, 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 they're not. But if you look at Gnosticism a little bit deeper, I think they really are. Um, but, you know, I wouldn't associate myself with Gnosticism if I was trying to reach mainstream Christians either. <laughs> yeah. Right. Any well, podcasts out there by Gnostics? This one. Yeah, well, this, this one. one. This one tonight. Yeah. Talk Gnosis uh, is... Uh, comes out of the AJC 
um, the Apostolic Joe Knight Church, um, and it's a good one. Um, there are a lot of really terrible ones. <laughs> so I'm not going to name them, but yeah. there are a lot of like really uh, kind of weird conspiracy theory ones, and um, they get into lots of very like literalist things about Atlantis or weird stuff that just is might might be mythologically useful, but as soon as you start to make it solid and real, starts to be really dumb. Yeah, to, in, in my humble opinion. The demi- totally, demi- the right exactly there. right there. <laughs> yes. That's it. Yep. I mean, you're delving right yep. into it. Very cool. He's always there. Okay. <laughs> well, thank you, Mark. My Actually, pleasure. Donato and Mark. There we go. Yes. <laughs> Marky Mark and Donato, Janelle. And for those that listen, thank you for listening. This was, uh, I thought this was fun. Hope you enjoyed it. If you liked it, share it online. And uh, we're at Brew Theology on Facebook and Instagram. Brew underscore theology on Twitter. Brewtheology.org. Make sure you look at Wild Goose coming up July 11th through the 14th. And we will be there. That's it. I think that's it. Also, if there are any Gnostics who are just Gnostics listening to this, go to Brew Theology. It's really fun. (laughs) We'd love to have you. Peace. Cheers. Good night.